Hello, uh, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge Edit Podcast. I'm actually going to be by myself again, but this time it's completely my fault um, because of the fact that I had to get uh, get my ass over to Cagliari. I spent like the whole Sunday evening and the whole Monday morning away, so uh, we didn't manage to find um, you know uh, the, the right um, time to record. Uh, especially as well, uh, some of the matches in um, in the tournaments that I'm going to preview have already happened, uh, round ones. Uh, but Jakub, of course, sent me his picks, and um, I'm going to mention them. And uh, I, as far as I remember, none of his picks lost today, which would be extremely tragic, of course, but um, we would quickly figure out something. But um, yeah, you're going to just listen to me. Uh, this week um, we're gonna be back uh, as a duo on you know next Sunday, um, especially as um, hopefully there's gonna be some extra content from Cagliari for you guys there as well included. Um, so without further ado, I would like to start with the biggest challenger that we had this week. So the challenger 125 in Seoul, and we had Bujan Chaoketa winning this one over Alexander Vukic, which was quite a shock in the final. I mean, maybe not a Maybe shock is a too strong a word, but still a, a sizable upset, I would say. Uh, we've talked about Yun Chaoketa a lot of times, especially in 2022, when he just had some insane ITF results, never really translated that to challengers. Then, of course, this year he had a semi in Las Franquezas del Valles, but it still didn't feel like he was capable of something like this. Is it the strongest Challenger 125 run that you're ever going to see? Definitely not. But, you know, the guy is going to, um, I think after Madrid, he's going to break the top 200 and like break the top 200, like very firmly. Um, so, uh, yeah, he isn't, he has put himself in a good position to um, survive all these ITF points dropping for him. Uh, how did he do it? Honestly, um, was just himself, I would say. Um, played played some very, very solid tennis in terms of just, uh, you know, controlled aggression, not, not maybe going for too much, but also not really allowing his opponents to dictate. In the final, he was kind of smart about it and either um, moved Fukic around or even in the tiebreaker, in the opening set tiebreak, he was um, just giving him the ball, uh, you know, just... To be right, uh, to, chose the right moments to to see what Vukic would do would do with it, and he uh, the Australian faltered against Yuen uh, at slice as well, which wasn't really even like you know that nice thing. It was a floater, but um, a few points in the tiebreaker, Vukic definitely felt the pressure on, and somehow it was Yuen Chaoketa's first uh, challenger title, of course, and the challenger one twenty five already. Um, let's see what he can do with it in Guangfang Yu and Busan now. But um, yeah, just a huge, huge step towards playing Grand Slam qualifying, of course, which is something he hasn't had before, and um, easily playing Grand Slam qualifying, right? Because he's gonna be very firmly into the inside the top 200. Uh, one of these guys, I guess, you always have to mention this. Uh, talking about Unchokata, one of the guys who, well, the pandemic basically stopped their careers for a few years, right? The, the, there were a few guys like that. Ibn Gu was it was more due to injuries. Um, but there was also a moment when he was healthy playing these all Chinese events and, uh, you know, just couldn't really travel, couldn't really play abroad. Uh, same with Yun Chaoketa. And ever since he came back to the tour, he's been a beast, um, you know, at first in the ITF events. Now he won the Challenger 125. Still don't think he's got like the craziest ceiling. Um, don't think there's, there's just that, that much special about this game, but 
um, yeah, kudos to him for doing that. And uh, he just opened the doors for himself, like for many, many new opportunities. Speaking of Alexander Vukic, who was the runner-up, such a missed chance, I think, uh, because he uh, he had a very tough draw from the get-go in uh, Seoul. He played Haris, Perangis, Eubanks. I even remember saying that um, this is a draw where I feel like I should be picking Vukic. Like, this is a draw where I usually pick Vukic, uh, you know, if, if that makes sense. But I just cannot really bring myself to do that if he plays Haris in the opening round. Uh, he beat him into tie breaks, he beat Perankis, he beat Eubanks, he beat Yuan Seong Chung, seemed like the massive favorite to take the title, honestly, even before the semis. And um, yeah, I, I just don't think he delivered, especially when it comes to um, getting consistent depth on his ground strokes. This is something that he can struggle with a lot and uh, it was missing from his game, I would say, even in the semis. Uh, maybe it was the nerves, I don't know. And if Alexander Vukic does not break the top 100 this year, because he still has a very good shot, like he, um, he between, um, let me check that again, between March 2022 and, and um, late, November, late September 2023, he only won two matches. Um, some of that was injury, some of that was, of course, him being weaker on clay. So in a way that South Korean clay court swing, sorry, hard court swing um, being moved this year is very helpful to him. And, um, you know, th- there's such a huge chance for, for Vukic to break the top 100 still. But if he doesn't, this is the, this is the match I think that we're going to be looking back on um, the final in Seoul against Yun Kete, where he was just very, very far off his best. And um, I still think he, he, he will do it, though, um, especially if he keeps scheduling himself, like, yeah, just right, you know, that, just how he did going to South Korea here. That was definitely the, the right call. And, um, yeah, he's also, of course, playing Wang Yu and Busan, just like Yun Chao Kete. So um, maybe there's going to be even more big results. But, of course, the next ones are not um, 125s, I believe. Uh, and Wang Yu definitely isn't. Um, Busan actually could be bigger, right? Because it, it was last year, I think. Yeah, Busan is also a 125. So um, Onik Vangyu, um, the, the one that we're going to preview, preview um, later in this episode, is a, is a 75. And uh, going further into that uh, Soul draw, we've had Yasutaka Uchiyama reaching the semis. No, not, not much to say, frankly. Um, definitely someone who has been playing a tiny bit better than his results suggest, I would say. And um, finally getting rewarded for it. A uh, big win over Kudla in the quarters, big win over Duckworth in the second round. Just lost to Yuncha Okete, which, um, yeah, after you've beaten Kudla and Duckworth, right, you, you would sort of expect to um, to beat Yuncha Okete, and maybe that's, that's what also kind of lost him. Um, still, a, still a pretty great pro striker and um, a pleasure to watch when he's playing well and he definitely was this week and he also started from the qualifying which is, uh, deserves to be mentioned I suppose and uh, the last semi-finalist was uh, actually the aforementioned Yun Seong Chung um, played um, three very good matches you know, uh, eliminated Thompson eliminated Hijikata uh, had a very good chance and Kujovczyk as well I mean that's still a name, right? Maybe maybe not as impressive of a win as it was in the past, but still, that, that's a big name. And um, yeah, I think he, he really had a chance against Vukic. As, as I said earlier, I think uh, Vukic's depth was missing in both the final and the semi. And um, if, if Chung t- t- took that opening set in the tiebreak, who knows what would have happened. But, um, you know, the tiebreak basically decided the match. 
Uh, but Chung actually wasn't doing that well recently. He he played four ITF uh, in ITFs in a row and only made one quarter final, where he lost to Sue. So not not a bad loss. But other than that, you know, Samurai via retirement, Rifki via retirement, and Nishivaki. So basically, he was uh, he was retiring from two of these events. So um, this this week he looked healthy and um, it brought him a very good result for sure. Um, definitely wasn't a great year for Yu Seong Chung um, coming into Seoul, so it kind of saves him. Um, even though he's actually down to like 363 in the ATP rankings, yeah, which um, well, he, he is going to be um, a bit higher, right? After after these points hit the rankings after Madrid, but um, actually 340 only. But but still, uh, there's still Kwangyu, there's still Busan. Maybe he can make uh, make up for the points that he lost in the first months of the year, just not really doing much. Um, he actually didn't have a challenger major win even before this um, before this event. He played six challengers in 2023 before Seoul and uh, didn't score a single major win. So um, things were really getting quite dire for Yun Seong Chung. So um, this run certainly helps. And it comes to the doubles, we did not have um, the Matsui Uesugi fairy tale that we're always sort of looking for, although they were in the semis, that's why I'm mentioning them. And uh, Purcell and Uchiyama beat uh, Chung and Shimizu in the final. And uh, one guy I think that has to be mentioned from Seoul is of course Hyeon Chung, who played Jordan Thompson. And uh, he uh, lost 6-2-6-4 in what I thought was a pretty decent showing like the, the biggest takeaway was the just the fact that he was healthy and didn't seem to be struggling with anything which of course is like the absolute key and um well simply the most important thing there is right now for for Yun Seong Chung so um I think that that's that's really just just key and the fact that his ground game was all over the place it's it's a secondary thing and uh Chung also spoke at like some press conference there and uh, apparently he's not playing Gwangyu, but he would like to play Busan. Uh, you know, he's taking it very slow, which probably is the right call. Although, frankly, after one match against Chu, uh, against Thompson, but he he um, like he se- seemed pretty pessimistic. Like he said that you know his his most uh, his biggest goal was really to finish the match against Thompson, like in in good physical shape, and he did. So you know, in that sense, it worked out. Just a very tough draw. I wonder what he would have done, you know, in a, in another spot of the in another in another section. I don't think he would have won this. I don't think he would have made the semis. But I think a couple of wins were possible if if he landed in a softer uh, section and just had that round one opponent, you know, to sort of um, shake off his rust on. Um, yeah, and let's get over to maybe Savannah, which was a big big story because of the USDA Run Garros Wildcard Challenge. And I mean, yes, we can complain, right? We can complain that the previous winners were like Fratangelo, Sok, Mo, and etc. Just uh, better players. But this this finish was really thrilling. Um, why? Well, let's start from the fact that Patrick Kipson um, in the um, opening round came back from 3-5 down, I think, in the third against Alex Michelson. And at the time, it didn't seem that important. You know, in hindsight, it actually saved him the wildcard. And uh, then uh, by the time they reached the semis, it was clear that, well, by the time Kipson reached the semis, it was clear that um, if he loses to Diaz Acosta in the semis, then Boyer or Kruger uh, would have to win the title. And if he beats Diaz Acosta, so makes the final, 
then there's no chance. Then Kipson secures the wildcard already. And Kipson lost to Diaz Acosta, which gave Tristan Boyer a fantastic chance to get it. Uh, why didn't he? Let's talk about that. Diaz Acosta beat Tristan Boyer 6-3, 6-1 in the final. So maybe let's start from the champ, uh, Diaz Acosta. Um, I've mentioned him, I think, countless times the past couple of years as someone who I think has like a top 100 future. He has been playing like this at times this year. Definitely that Nori um, clash in Buenos Aires, right? Which was just, uh, just incredible. Uh, but did not uh, produce a challenger final. He lost in the semis twice, once via retirement. The reason why I didn't have much expectations um, for him going into Savannah was because, well, he lost to Moes Ekargui in Tallahassee. Diallo, uh, in Sarasota, he lost to Diallo, so nothing really crazy, right? But the green play definitely didn't suit him as much. And uh, while he won this title, again, there were some crazy matches along the way. Again with Ekargui, to whom he lost the opening set via a bagel and then won. He also beat Aziz Dugas in free, Patrick Kipson, the aforementioned uh, the star of the show in free, and then crushed Tristan Boyer in the final. And um, yeah, just a very good run for Diaz Acosta gets him a little bit closer to fighting for that top 100 debut. I don't know if he can do it this year, but I, I, I really think he has a he has a top 100 future to me, um, definitely. And um, getting some points on the green clay, which definitely wasn't as comfortable for him, is, is pretty huge, I think some points, I mean, getting a lot of points, 75 for this event. And let's get to Tristan Boyer, who is like an absolute shocker, right? Uh, the guy in 2022 played one pro match and it was a challenger qualifying. And uh, somehow he is still able to uh, compete at this at this insane level. And, um, you know, it, it, it was definitely um, something that no one really expected. He has like a bit more of a, I would say, um, traditional American game than, for example, Kipson with the seven forehand just being clearly his best um, qualities. There, there was a point on, uh, actually in like the past when Tristan Poyer was regarded as a bit of a prospect, even got a qualifying wildcard for Indian Wells. Um, then, of course, over the years, the hype kind of died down. And um, in 2021, 2022, he wasn't even playing that much pro. Um, he played some UTRs even. Like even this year, he played plenty of UTR tennis, you know. So um, it was just a complete shock because I think he never had a challenger, like even charger main draw appearance, right? I think, yeah, before um, before Sarasota, so before the Green Guy Swing. And then in Sarasota, he beats Pui, beats Sok, which uh, was already huge. He retired to Galan, then loses to Luca Potenza in Tallahassee qualifying. And then has this run in Savannah and comes one match away from securing that wildcard, which uh, last year, I think the prize money for Ran Garros hasn't been announced yet, but last year it was 62k um, euros for the first round. So, you know, for someone like Boyer, for someone like Kipson, who eventually got it, this is absolutely game-changing. Tristan Boyer so far in his career before um, Savannah uh, earned 15k th- uh, dollars. So... You know, it, it's just like um, insane amount. It's it would be an insane amount of money for him just getting to run Garros, and of course a chance to earn more, a chance to play someone uh, you know who's usually not not even in the same events as he is. So um, 
absolutely incredible and he he totally earned it like he 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 played like this even in the semifinals against Emery when it was really it really seemed like it was going to be tough for him he um started um handling the wind a bit better started controlling his forehand more and um yeah it gave him the win uh, why uh, the final was so uh, easy for Diaz Acosta well unfortunately due to um, wet extreme weather conditions i think it was like lightning or something the semi-final of Boyer and Emery uh, had to be played on Sunday. Just one game was played on Saturday. So, um, unfortunately, Boyer, after a long match, physical match with Emery, Emery as well, he just never had a chance. He just never stood a shot against Diaz Acosta. So, um, yeah, that's how it ended. And that's how Patrick Kipson got the wildcard. Um, deservedly? I don't know. I mean, both guys kind of deserved it, right? But Kipson, let's talk about him as well. Uh, another insane uh, breakthrough. This, this well, not, not even green clay swing because he also had a semi from the qualifying in San Luis Potosi. Um, really enjoyed watching him the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, uh, I think um, he really showed that he has um, a lot of potential on both strokes and um, especially the forehand, which is super powerful. But even even in, in all these good matches he played uh, the past uh, four weeks. Uh, he was finding some insane backhands down the line as well. Um, really interesting to see what these guys are going to do, you know, because before before the wildcard challenge started, no one would have been putting them, you know, in like, I don't know, top 15 favorites. Is that a stretch? I don't think so, right? No one would be putting them in like top 20 favorites or something like this. So um, maybe Kipson would be somewhere on someone's list, but definitely not Tristan Boyer. So it's going to be so exciting to see how they, um, what they can produce out of it. Of course, Gibson is going to play uh, Rangaros round one, get a fantastic payout. Does he have a chance for a win? You know, it would have to be a very good draw. I don't know, maybe a qualifier, maybe someone like um, someone with a protected ranking. I don't know, Carl Edmund, Jeremy Shardy. Uh, we'll see. But um, certainly he's going to be a huge underdog against most uh, players. But uh, again, um, confidence sometimes can give you so much. And Kipson and, and Boyer, honestly, too, clearly have a lot more potential than they've been showing us uh, throughout their career so far. And Kipson, as I said, he had that comeback against Michelson, which uh, ended up uh, giving him uh, the Rangaros wildcard, which is wild in hindsight. Of course, at the time, we didn't really know it. We just knew that um, if he loses, then he's not really in the driver's seat anymore. Uh, but, um, well, at the end, he also wasn't, but uh, he, he needed Boyer to lose in the final, right? And Calvin Emery uh, won uh, what, according to uh, Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract, I'm not sure how complete his database of challenger matches is when it comes to match time, like whether it includes the 80s and etc. But um, according to, his, to the Tennis Abstract database, uh, he uh, the, the match against Galarno uh, that Emery played in the opening round here lasted was the second longest ever on the Challenger Tour, just uh, two minutes shorter than um, Jesus. I think it was um, Farah playing someone in Barranquilla. Let me quickly find it. I think it was Robert Farah playing. Yeah, f- um, it was uh, Robert Farah playing Flavio Cipolla in uh, Barranquilla 2011. So um, the third match that he has, actually, oh, oh, okay, he mentioned, um, he mentioned the match times being, um, well, mostly back to 2010, 
So we only really know it, you know, in the past 13 years. But in the past 13 years, let's say it's been the second longest. And uh, the third longest was actually last year at very Olivo. You guys might remember that four hours, 17 minutes. I think I even chose it as like my match of the year or something like that. Emery Gallardo wasn't as quite high quality. There was a lot of choking involved, but still it deserves everything, you know, every, any praise it got for being four hours, 21 minutes, three tiebreakers and Emery eventually coming out on top. And then he actually scored two amazing wins against Fratangelo and Bergs. Uh, but I think the fatigue eventually caught up with him um, in the semi against Boyer, you know, in the last two sets. Don't think he realistically, even though he was down uh, up a break in the uh, third set, still, I don't think he realistically could have done that much more because, well, he was just insanely tired at that point. Uh, still a, f- a great run for Calvin Emery, who, who we all know he has some insane potential. You know, he was the world number 116. There were definitely moments when he played like a top top 100 player. His peak is of that sort of quality. It's just that his floor has never been that high. It's actually been higher than what it is right now, but it's never been, you know, back end of the top to 100 or something like that. Um, and also when it comes to Savona, of course, the doubles. Blamberg Martinez, very interesting pairing, beat Federico Agustin Gomez and Nicolas Kicker. I think Federico Agustin Gomez deserves a bit of a mention because according to like Mike Cation and um, you know, people who are in, in uh, Savannah this week, uh, Gomez really uh, like uh, resonated with the crowd. Um, they they really liked him, and I think it's it's pretty clear why. If you watch Federico Agustin Gomez play play a singles match, he's just ball bashing every single um, thing that comes you know comes to him from across the net, which is kind of fun. I, I have to say that it is kind of fun. It is brainless. It is a little stupid. It is a little weird, but it is kind of fun at the same time. So kudos to him. And, and yeah, I, I actually want to watch it more. Um, I've only seen him like t- twice or thrice, but um, I think one of them was this week. And uh, he really was quite appealing uh, visually. And um, yeah, um, apparently the, the people in Savannah thought so as well. Let's maybe get to, uh, yeah, now we have the two 75s that were on clay this week. Maybe let's start with Ostrava, where uh, one of our favorites on the show, Stenek Kolasz, clinched his fourth challenger title, first since that 2021 best career season. Um, he was already, of course, in the final in Vilnius earlier this year. I think this was a very emotional victory for him because he reached the uh, final in Ostrava back in 2016. Then there was like this five-year break between his finals. And I remember talking to him about it in Poznan 2021 when he said that everyone was asking, you know, when, when are you going to reach the next final? And that was really tough for him. Um, it was really um, a big relief to finally get there in Oirash, I think, 2021. And of course, he also won that title. And uh, here, you know, Kolas just played his tennis, I think. Uh, he was at his solid best. He usually did very well in Ostrava. It wasn't just that final. I remember him reaching the quarters last year, almost beating the eventual champion, um, Ivan Furness. And uh, here he kind of surprised, I guess, uh, beating Valkus in the final. Uh, probably a much more, oh, definitely a much more talented shot maker, but uh, he didn't really have an idea as to how to make it um, an important aspect of this match. Uh, he also crushed Kopriva in the second round, 
And I think in general, in the final, Kolas just uh, was, well, first of all, of course, as, as always, giving it his all, running down everything. But at the same time, when he had the opportunity, he was really going for his forehand and never really let go like an advantage in a, in a point. So um, didn't allow Valkus that much space. So fantastic stuff from the, from the Czech. And I mean... I, it's still so far away, right? But like, if you look at only his result, like his results this year only, you could actually think of him again going for a top 100 debut, which he was very close to last year. He is at 110 in the live ATP race right now, so that kind of tells you, right, what sort of results he he has already amassed. Is it possible? Yes. Is it likely? We'll see, but he's certainly capable of cleaning more clay, uh, of cleaning up more clay challengers. And um, we had an interview with him in Vilnius in February, where he said that after that disastrous 2022, well, second half of 2022, he did some things different in the pro, in the off season. Clearly, it worked, and uh, everyone would would love to see Tsitsipas collage rematch at Roland Garros, right? That's uh, that's something that I think Tsitsipas fans think of to this day. Uh, how close Danek Kolasz was to beating him last year at, in Paris. Uh, and Danek Kolasz fans, of course, think about it too, I'm, I'm sure. And Mate Falkus was the finalist. Um, someone we've been hyping up with Jakub quite a lot, right? Um, he is, in my mind, not less talented than Maroshan and Pirosh. I think that's like a really common opinion. Uh, I've heard it from even even from a different like player from another country, for example, even that Valkus is probably the most talented of them all, and yet he is lower down in the rankings. Some of that is injuries, you know. That the final still showed some issues with his game. I think he he really didn't um, have a clue as to how um, use that how to use that talent, you know, to do something to Kolash. Kolash was just grinding and hitting that heavy, quite heavy forehand. Uh, at least he was hitting it heavy on the day, and um, Valkus had Valkus didn't have an idea, you know, how to employ some variety. He tried with some drop shots, but it was just too, um, yeah, it was just it was just a little too simple, also too predictable, uh, which is interesting, you know. The, the the guy the guy is really really talented, but maybe there are actually reasons that are keeping him back other than the injuries. And uh, Valkus, uh, for, for him, this was his second challenger final after Cordenon's 2018, when he lost to Paolo Lorenzi. So uh, quite um, um, strong and like very interesting set of opponents, right? Lorenzi and Kolash, both sort of legends of the challenger tour, I would say already. Uh, of course, with Lorenzi, it's not already. He's retired, but Kolash is a bit of a legend, I think, for me already of the challenger tour, you know, with the amount of challenger doubles titles that he's won and just that very similar, I guess, to Lorenzi, um, well, attitude of just um, making himself the best player possible with limited resources. And um, yeah, uh, maybe the, the, the Valkus' time is going to come. I think it would be a very big disappointment if he retired without a challenger title at some point, I don't know, in 10 years or something. Uh, could have been a very nice story if he won, because that would mean that Maroshan, Pirosh, and Valkus have all won their first ATP Challenger Tour titles in like the span of uh, less than a year, which would have been fun because, of course, uh, we keep mentioning them together as that sort of Hungarian 98-99 generation. Pretty amazing that in just two birth years they uh, have such free amazing talents, right? Um, a small country after all. 
And uh, Ricardo Bonadi was the semi-finalist who got crushed by Valkos. Uh, he was my pick for the week. I uh, thought he actually might do it. I, I, I really thought he um, he had the chance. Uh, maybe it's going to show up in some other event. But yeah, he was just crushed by Valkos after looking pretty great in his first three matches. So um, not much to say there, really. Of course, he still has that insane, <laughs> insanely beautiful one-hander. But... Um, it's not gonna be easy to get that challenger title when he's when you're 29, soon turning 30. So I think every single chance like this has to be you know treated with caution. Um, he has had um, two challenger finals and against very tough opposition, I have to say. Carlos Alcaraz, Trieste 2020, and uh, Alexander Shevchenko, Bratislava 2022. And the other semifinalist was also a bit of a surprise. To, I mean, not, not also, but was a bit of a surprise to me. Shintaro Mochizuki capitalizing on his recent Barletta final. He won some crazy matches against Andreozzi, Menchik, uh, then Jumhur maybe not, not as crazy. He just was the better player after the first set and uh, lost a tight match to Kolash. I guess in a way other than the... Well, Jumhur and Kolash are pretty good opponents for Mochizuki, right? They cannot overpower him. Menchik and Andreozzi can, but they, they came up short. And um, yeah, very, very solid run for Mochizuki, who I think maybe never even had a semi before Parletta, right? So that would make it, make it only his... No, actually, he made a, made a semi-final last year in Matsuyama on the um, uh, Asian swing. But we all know that the Asian swing is kind of different, right? Um, that that it, it's usually a bit weaker. So um, just his third challenger semi-final, but he, of course, already has a title from April. And uh, should be easily um, into in uh, inside run Garros qualifying cutoff. And uh, when it comes to the doubles in Ostrava, actually, before we mention, but well, let, I'll start with the doubles and then I'll mention a couple of comebacks, of course, that were in Ostrava and I think um, have to be talked about. And uh, Galloway Reyes Varela uh, were the doubles champions beating Andreozzi and Duran. Very high quality final. I think everyone expected Andreozzi Duran to lift another title, but that's not what happened. And when it comes to the comebacks, uh, we've had Iji Vesely playing for the first time since the US Open. And frankly, he looked pretty good. But again, the fitness, uh, uh, Jakub was, was talking about it last week, right? That he got a new fitness coach uh, who worked with some Czech stars before. And that sort of shows that, um, you know, that, that sort of shows that uh, the guy has been, um, like that he is more focused on that, right? That he is giving it more uh, in terms of just, yeah, um, determination, I guess. But we'll see. Um, I mean, for now it wasn't great, but of course it was the first uh, event after a break, and he, for for all its worth, I mean, he played three three setters, uh, Justino Gakov and Bonadio, some very good tennis in there. Sometimes uh, he had some massive issues to close it out against Justino, but you know that that that's that's one thing really. So. Um, I, I think still a very positive event for Vesely, and let's see what he can do with this um, later on in the year. And Gan Monfils was the other one, of course not his first event, but he was winless before this before this event this year, and he beat Ivan Fernes via retirement, uh, the defending champion, and then lost to Damir Jumhur. Uh, didn't really have a, uh, have an idea as to how to hit through the uh, very very fast Bosnian. I mean Jumhur has to be one of the the fastest challenger two players still. 
And um, yeah, he, he outplayed Monfils. Um, I don't know if it was a surprise, but certainly uh, quite a fun um, veteran matchup, right? Jumhur Monfils in a second round of a challenger. Sounds pretty crazy. They actually played just twice before, and it was Rotterdam quarterfinals and Australian Open round one, and Monfils crushed him both times. So I guess it also um, kind of shows, you know, the decline of the Frenchman, whereas Jumhur in um, like early 2019 you know, he wasn't that much weaker. Uh, I mean, he wasn't that much stronger compared to right now, I think. He, w- he was a bit, though, definitely. Um, yeah, the, the other European clay event we've had was Rome, where Sumit Nagal won the title. Um, been a long while, been about three and a half years, actually. Um, there were some pretty, like, s- since he since he was injured at the end of 2021, he never really returned to his best, but there were some promising moments last year, right? We mentioned them all on the show, of course, especially I remember that quarterfinal against Zapata Miralesh, also a close match against Lehechka. And um, he couldn't really piece these moments together. This year, of course, he had that big run in Chennai. And finally, uh, it all combined into a huge week where he was crushing some of his opposition, especially Tabaco and Hokes, who lost bagel sets to him, won a very, very good match against Delors in the semifinals, and uh, finished it up with an um, upset over De Jong, which I think was actually pretty sizable. And um, he was he just had a clear edge of the baseline on the day. Um, the, the serve difference wasn't felt. I don't know if that's how it would have looked every single day. I don't think so. I think De Jong probably played his weakest match of the uh, the week. But still, um, fantastic run for Sumit Nagal. Um, helps him to avoid uh, dropping down to the ITF Tour, right? Because that's what that's what he was sort of in danger um, of doing this year. He like he could have easily played a lot of ITFs already. He just avoided that. He played on the Challenger Qualies, and it looks like he managed to actually um, you know um, get get the get the job done. Looks like he is actually going to stay in Challengers. So um, I guess it worked out for him in the end, uh, very um, very smoothly. Uh, the aforementioned Jesper de Jong, 31 and 10 for the year, but still not without a challenger title. He won a 25k. And um, I think, uh, yeah, just a disappointing showing in the final because he, throughout the week, like his level was pretty incredible. And in general, this year, Jesper de Jong has had such a good time on the tour. Uh, very consistent results, you know, const- constantly getting into these deep stages of challengers. In fact, he has played seven challengers, always made the second round and um, made five quarterfinals, including four in a row. So um, missed chance, I think, for a, for a second challenger title. But if he keeps playing like this, it, it can pop up again. And if he keeps playing like this, you know, top 100, maybe not, I don't know, if this year, but um, he, he, I think he has it in him. I think he will, in, at some point in his career, break the top 100. And I certainly think he is more talented than guys like, uh, I don't know, Brouwer or Sels, who recently um, from the Netherlands uh, came very close. Van Eitoven, I wouldn't, I, I don't know, I wouldn't really say so. But um, uh, but Sels, Brouwer, like, I don't think these guys are better than Jesper de Jong. And uh, maybe over time it's going to even out a bit. Of course, Brouwer had a match for the top 100 earlier this year, but... Now it seems like he would actually have to do, you know, go on, on another crazy run to, to get there. Flavio Cobolli was the semi-finalist who lost to uh, De Jong. He was Jakub Spik, I think. And um, I think he did extremely well this week. 
um, followed up on that Munich Munich quarterfinal and in general the past couple of months, right? Uh, well, since the clay season started, he has been showing some signs of progress. So maybe just like Zapieri, you know, maybe the 2022 season was a bit of a lull and then 2023 is going to be much better. I think it sort of already is with the results that he's been um, putting up. Of course, in 2022, he won Zadar in April, but like post-April, he, uh, he I think, had a semi-final in Ortisei, which felt pretty random given his... Uh, well, lacking indoor, especially that fast indoor pedigree. Uh, so very, very nice for Kaboli to get there. And um, we'll see if he can uh, keep building on it. And also Yoris Delor, uh, we so we didn't see him for a while on the tours between Po and Oirash, so like a month and a half. Uh, that was because he became a father, actually, and he took, some, took a sh- small break. Uh, he uh, maybe isn't, um, well, right now we think of him as an indoor player, right? But over the course of his career, he has actually played a lot of good clay tennis. His first challenger final against Daniel Medvedev, by the way, in Saunami 2016 was on clay. And he can clearly um, you know, pilot, <laughs> pilot the surface quite well. And uh, as I said, that was, a very, that was a very high quality semifinal between Nagal and Delore, I think. And uh, he just came up short in that, but um, still a good, a good sign. Uh, he actually lost his first match on clay in Oeiras to Uchida. And uh, yeah, bounced back here in, in style for sure. And when it comes to the doubles in Rome, it was uh, Barrientos and Cabral. So this there's also uh, quite, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty fresh pairing, right? Yeah, they played for the first time together. Um, of course, we've seen Barrientos do amazing stuff on the Challenger Tour in doubles, likewise with Cabral but not together and uh, they uh, proved that they can also uh, dominate the field when they're when they are playing together although they had a they had a very tough match with um, Franz and Jebens to start things off and also then with uh, Aiserik Kureshi it's really just the final against Golubiev Molchanov that that they really smashed uh, and Turasovic and Boli I guess in the semis as well um, and when it comes to the last event, which is Buenos Aires, this is where I got a point, which means that now I lead by two. I can't remember what the exact tally is in our winner predictions competition, but uh, we are. I certainly lead by two uh, right now. Uh, I remember last week saying that, uh, you know, you, to Jakub, something like, you're going to mark my words when um, Thiago Sebofield uh, wins the title next week. And I would love to have him here just to laugh uh, laugh at him. But unfortunately, you know, due to my hectic travel schedule, I, I kind of had to record by myself this this, this week. And um, Thiago Sebofield uh, had a tough one against Benjamin Hassan at the very beginning of the of the run. But then uh, he lost a set to Murkel Delian, but he won both both sets. He won 6-1 and then just crashed Casanova, Navone, Darderi. There was a small bleep in the final against Darderi, free, free love up uh, for uh, the um, Italian-Argentinian. I mean, the Italian when it comes to the country here, he's representing um, Darderi. And uh, then Sabofield just won six games in a row. And yeah, that forehand is back to being such a threat. And... This really changes it all, I think, for, for Sabofield. And just to, again, state how good he has been this year. Well, two, two, two stats, I, I think, are very telling. One, he is, well, he was in the top 100 in the ATP race. Now he's 102. But still, that kind of shows you what sort of results uh, he's been getting and what he can achieve this year if he keeps going like this. And the second is that in his last four events, he is 17-2, and two, only losing to Delian and Fonseca. 
by the way, uh, I guess it also showcases how monumental that win for Fonseca was. But still, you know, 17 and two losing to Dalian and maybe the best 16 year old in, in the world at the moment. So um, yeah, just insane. And uh, he definitely is looking like a top 100 player since um, the beginning of March. And even earlier, there were some signs, but of course, you know, since the beginning of March is when we had that unstoppable Thiago Seipofuit, which uh, we uh, we have been enjoying since uh, since the, the, the past four events he played, basically. Santiago Viña del Mar, Florianopolis, and Buenos Aires. As I mentioned, Luciano Darderi was the finalist. Uh, he really needed this uh, as well because uh, after uh, almost qualifying for the Australian Open and winning a round in Cordoba, the ATP 250, he was on a bit of a losing streak. Um, and uh, finally, he managed to get back on the board, won a very tight one against Colarini in the semis. But yeah, he just didn't hold a candle to save of wield. And I think a lot of players in this event didn't. So um, it kind of, you know, lowers the excitement about them. But still, I think the win over Colarini and also the win over Rodriguez Taverna were, were very good. Rodriguez Taverna is also getting some back, right? Recently made, the, uh, recently made the final in Barletta where he lost to Muchizuki. Mariano Navone, um, shout out to my Irish friend who thought that Mariano Navone was going to beat Sabofield. But I, I do think he was potentially one of his biggest threats in this event. Navone maybe has had some terrible losses and terrible performances over the past couple of uh, months, like the one against Felpalsch, for example, in Rosetto degli Abruzzi. But he also is undeniably quite talented. And when he pulls it together, he is uh, sometimes unstoppable. There was a second round match with Juan Bautista Torres here that he was 2-5 down in, in the third and won at 7-5. So it was a crazy run. But yeah, uh, just like many guys this week, he just didn't have a chance against Sabofield. Someone who should have probably played Sabofield was Colarini, but uh, he blew that uh, opportunity in the semifinals against Darderi. Uh, still getting free wins on the board, uh, very comfortable free wins for Colarini as well. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he's playing like the tennis of his life in recent, maybe not even months, uh, but uh, like the past uh, last uh, six months or something like this, you know, along with some part of the 2021 season. Even though even this year, he actually had like a he actually had a losing streak, right? Between the end of January and the beginning of April. But uh, I still think, you know, Colorini is very close to the form of his life right now. And this semifinal was just another one of these examples. But yeah, he, he probably should have played Sabofield in the final. Would that have changed much? You know, he's a lefty. Maybe he punishes the, like, maybe he pins Sabofield to his backhand corner. I don't think it would have changed that changed much though, but I think he would have had a better chance than Darderi, but that just mostly on like stylistic reasons, right? That's not really based on um, you know, any difference in the quality of play between the two. It's, it, it's really just style, basically. And when it comes to the doubles in Buenos Aires, we had um, Francisco Comesania and Thiago Seibovild going, uh, well, Seibovild going for the double and winning over Hernan uh, Casanova and um, Santiago Rodriguez Taverna, who are actually the top seeds, which is kind of surprising, but uh, it just wasn't a very strong doubles event, you know, pairs like Andreozzi, um, for example, Andreozzi, Duran being in Europe, Martinez being in the States, right? Uh, Luis David, I mean, of course, Martinez, I mean, uh, you know, the Huertas del Pino brothers were the second seats and etc. 
And with that, I think we've arrived in the uh, match and upset of the week section. For match of the week, I had like three picks that I considered very similar. Two of them were from Savannah, actually. And uh, it's Emery Garno, of course, um, because of the uh, sort of historical importance, right? Uh, Kipson Michelson, which I very much agree with Alex Borok, who uh, commented, uh, sorry, gave me a comment under, uh, under the poll on Twitter that this was a better match. But it doesn't quite overvalue the um, yeah just just how wild Emery and Galarno were. I agree with this. I think Gibson Michelson was a better match. I don't think I can pick it though. And the other one was that semi uh, between Nagar and Delore. I, I enjoyed that a lot. So um, yeah, I, I have to go with Emery Galarno. Not that it was necessarily the best match I've seen this week, but. Um, yeah, just the drama, the, the crazy stuff that happened in there, and the fact that we're going to be mentioning this much, uh, you know, at home over the past couple of years. Anytime someone gets uh, over the next couple of years, anytime someone gets close to this sort of score, I think it really just um, yeah, it, that's what tops it for me. That, that's what gives him gives it, gives it the um, the upset of the week um, sort of moniker this week, right? Uh, and on, on Twitter, of course, it was also um, voted as, as the best by my followers, like 150 of my followers or something like that, as that's what, this, that's what these, uh, these polls usually get, but, <laughs> but you know. Um, and, uh, well, when it comes to the upset of the week, there wasn't anything that crazy. From what I can see for the bookies, it was actually um, Vice over Maroshan, which I do agree it shouldn't really be happening, but that's the sort of results that Maroshan has been getting over the past couple of weeks, right? Like, he, he is very upset prone. So in that sense, I don't really want to pick him. So I might go just for the final in Seoul, you know? I, I really thought Vukic had it. And um, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Jarkata uh, over Vukic in the Seoul final, which uh, after the, the quarterfinals, especially when Vukic beat Eubanks, uh, and he was left with Chang and then Yun Jarkata Uchiyama, it really seemed like this should be his title. But uh, of course, as we know, it wasn't. And that's our reviews gone. Uh, well, gone, done, more or less. They're not gone. You're going to be able to hear them and uh, I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, edit them and etc. They're not gone, uh, thankfully, because I wouldn't have wanted to, uh, like, I wouldn't have wanted to waste, uh, I wouldn't want to have wasted uh, 45 minutes uh, on something that wouldn't be saved. And we also have five events to preview. Uh, these five events are, um, well, of huge importance. The, the two European 175s that we, um, the, the, the two first ever European 175s in Aix-en-Provence and Cagliari. Cagliari I'm currently at. Uh, I'm going to be here until the end of the event. So very excited to, for this. And by the way, like the venue is just stunning. Today there, it was just five matches, which I'm kind of going to get to later. Uh, so maybe let's let's finish uh, at that now. And of course, we're going to... Oh, one more stat, I guess, interesting to mention is that um, to this week, there are 28 players uh, from the top 100 uh, on the charge, appearing on the Charger Tour. Is that a record? I would think so, right? Like that, that, that kind of has to, that kind of has to be the record, right? But I, I, of course, like have no idea how to check this. I remember last year there was a week when, um, it was actually in the second week of round, Garros when 18 top 100 players or 19 top 100 players were 
um, competing on the Challenger Tour. That was the week with Poznan, Forli, Prostayov, and Nottingham, I think. Something like something along those lines. So um, this week we have 15 top, one, top 100 players in Aix-en-Provence, 9 in Cagliari, uh, 3 in Gwangyu, or however it's read, and 1 in Prague. So yeah, let's let's get down to business without further ado. As I said, um, even though Jakub isn't here today, he sent me his winner picks. And uh, let's, uh, well, his winner picks actually start from this event. But no, we're going to start with Aix-en-Provence, which is just the first that showed up for me when it comes to these 175s. It is slightly stronger than Cagliari, but I think, uh, like, I'm not, I'm not angry at myself for choosing to go to Cagliari instead of Aix-en-Provence because uh, I think it's still... Um, holds a lot of excitement. Uh, Cagliari, there are simply players whom I really want to watch live, like, uh, I don't know, Kokinakis, uh, Watanuki, you know, um, all these guys like that. Um, Shelton, of course. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, get back to this later, but let's, let's focus on Exxon Provence for now. And, um, these 175s in Europe, important thing, they have a 28 player draw. So the first four seats are, um, not going to play in the in the opening round. They're going to start from the second round, which I think is just a tool to um, you know to lure potentially huge players into the, these events. It worked only in one case, I think, in Aix-en-Provence, where Tommy Paul took a late, took a late wild card. And um, he is going to play Blancano or a qualifier. There's also Echeverri and Kubler playing each other in that section. Amazing first round, right? Uh, Rodiono for a qualifier is going to be the rival. Mikhail Imer can play Per or Goufeu. That's, you know, Per Goufeu, I don't think it's going to be a good match, but still, it's the sort of big names that um, really uh, kickstarts your imagination, let's say something like that. Uh, Fils Barrer, another another match after, I think, in Quimper this year. Barrer crashed Fils, but it was indoors. I wonder if Fils isn't the favorite here. I would actually say that he probably is. And one of them will play Alice or a qualifier. So you can already see by the top half half how strong this is, right? Uh, amazing first round match between Murray and Monfils. Both wildcards. Uh, Murray, uh, a seeded wildcard even. And Murray uh, and Monfils have last played in 2014. They've played three times in France. Uh, and three times, I think, outside of France. Uh, twice at Roland Garros, uh, once in Paris, ATP 1000. So now they're actually going to play in a Challenger 175. Let's say in a Challenger, which is is simply wild. So um, Andy Murray, Gaon Monfils, opening round, Aix-en-Provence. Honestly, who knows who's going to win this? You know, Murray had a couple of shocking uh, showings against Deminor and Vavasori on clay so far this season. So I don't know. Um, then uh, one of them will play Locoli or Ramos Vignolas, also looking for form desperately. Adrian Manarino is the third seed. We recently saw him in a challenger in Ayrash, right? And he's going to play Vanash or uh, João Souza. And the second seed is Brandon Nakashima. Uh, the recently uh, discovered, well, in 2022, it was discovered that he's actually a very good clay court player. This year, of course, he hasn't played on clay yet. He has been struggling with some physical issues. And he's going to play Borges or a qualifier. And there's also a very exciting section where Bublik plays Bonadio in the opening round and Virtanen plays Miller. Uh, when it comes to the qualifying, and this goes for Cagliari as well, surprisingly, there are buys and there are a lot of alternates. Apparently, the, maybe the, the players didn't expect that it was going to be like that. Maybe the players just figured that it was more worth it for them to play a regular charger rather than you know face... Um, 
I don't know, uh, Rodionov or Alice in the uh, like Alice in the opening round after they qualify. I don't know what the reason exactly for this is, but both Aix-en-Provence and Cagliari have free buys in them. The players that have that got the buys this um, in Aix-en-Provence are Gakov, Kazo, and Medjedovic, and I think these are like the three most um, dangerous qualify potential qualifiers already. Uh, today, uh, only five round one matches were played in Aix-en-Provence, the, the, the round one qualifying round one, and you know, Maillot, Hase, Guinard, like some decent players, of course, but I think they're, they're not as dangerous as Gakov, Kazo, Medjedovic. Kazo is going to play Adet, so he really should be winning. Medjedovic is going to play Guinard, so maybe not so simple, and Gakov is going to play Maillot, so also maybe not so simple. There's also a, a Benjamin Locke, Robin Hasse in the final qualifying round in Aix-en-Provence. Um, also, of course, we have some very good doubles teams because, well, again, this um, and the, 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 some of the players who lost to in, lost in Madrid uh, decided to come here. We've got Granoyers, Zabaios, right, as the as the first seeds. Kubler, Pierce as the fourth ones. Uh, Ugo Nesian, Zielinski, the Australian Open runner-ups as the second seeds. Uh, so um, pretty insane doubles draw as well. When it comes to the, uh, who I think is going to win this, extremely tricky uh, because um, uh, sorry, extremely tricky because well the, the quality of the draw is just so high. Um, so I, maybe I will start from Jakubspik and Jakubspik is Quentel Alice. I can kind of get it, uh, although on clay, you know, if he has to play someone like. And a qualifier. Let's get. Let's go with Artur Cazo, then Filsor Parer, then maybe Mikael Immer in the quarters. It's really tough, right? Um, I'm kind of tempted to go with the stupid selection of Tommy Paul, but then again, do I think that Echeverri is gonna be uh, uh, is gonna lose to Tommy Paul? I don't, right? Um, that that section with Mari and Manarino as, as seeds is really soft. I don't think anyone there is winning the title. And Nakashima, you know, he 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 is after all coming back from an injury. So maybe Borges has an opportunity there. Maybe Miller. I'm going to go with actually. I I, have, I thought I was going to pick Tommy Paul, but I'm going to go with Thomas Martin Echeverri. I am a bit afraid of Kubler and Rudionov. Um, is Thomas Martin Echeverri already at that sort of? Um, yeah, aura of, of inv- invincibility on clay, sort of, that he can uh, beat these, you know, slightly weaker clay quarters than him only, only slightly weaker. I don't know, but I think if he plays Tommy Paul in the quarters, I like his chances. And then the draw would kind of open, open, it, open, uh, open itself up for him. So, yeah, I am going to go with Thomas Martin Echeverri. I am surprised by what I just did, but you know, I have a two-point lead, right? I can I can go a little wilder. I don't think Tommy Paul would have been that that good a pick either. But um, you know, he 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 plays Blancan or, or a qualifier, so at least in theory, it's a little bit of an easier start, and that's that's why I kind of was drifting towards him. But I was also thinking of Fields, but uh, just the section is a little too tough, I think. Barer than Alice. These are actually players who I think on clay it will be easier for, for him to face. There are some players like, for example, Mikael Immer, he could play in the quarters, where on clay it becomes a bit of a nightmare for him. Arnaldi is uh, is pretty similar. Um, he just lost to him, of course, in Madrid. That's why I mentioned him. Um, and yeah, I just think the section is maybe a little too tough for Arthur Fields. 
and Cagliari, uh, which as I mentioned, I'm currently at. I am recording this in my Airbnb in Cagliari. Um, so Monday afternoon, that's why we already uh, well has some matches um, completed in all the events, main draw matches, I think. I mean, uh, in all the events, but um, but Exxon Provence and Cagliari, for which uh, the main draw starts on Tuesday. And in uh, Cagliari, we've got Yoshihito Nishioka as the top seed. He's going to play Koboli or Galan. Very tough opener, I think, for uh, for Nishioka. Uh, then there's also Watanuki Monteiro. What a treat, right? I'm, I'm so excited for this match. And one of them is going to play Borna Goyo or a qualifier. Mackenzie McDonald is the third seed, and he's going to play Kovacevic against, or Taro Daniel. That's also an exciting match. I wonder how Kova is going to do on, uh, on European clay. He only has played like a few matches here. Verona, I think, uh, one year he played qualifying and maybe last year he played something, like one event. I can't remember. Um, then he, uh, then there's also Ugo Umber as the sixth seed, uh, playing a qualifier, and a qualifier is going to play Francesco Maestrelli as well, with a wild card, of course. And uh, the seventh seed is Cecchinato, who's going to play Passaro in the opening round, another stunner, right? Kokinakis plays Basilashvili. Um, fantastic match. I also can't can't wait to see it. Uh, the fourth seed, so getting a bye, is Laszlo Jere playing Kovalik or a qualifier. We also have Diego Schwartzman playing Bellucci. Diego Schwartzman, of course, played in Phoenix as well in March without much success. He lost to Nuno Borges in the opening round. And uh, Schwartzman plays Bellucci, so in theory a very good draw given how out of form the Italian is, has been. Then he could face another Italian in Vavasori or Zapieri. And the last section here is Ben Shelton, and he can play Luca Nardi or Fabian Maroshan, another classic opener. So um, I can't, I'm so excited for them. And uh, when it comes to the qualifying, it's like in uh, San Luis Potosi, uh, sorry, San Luis Potosi, Aix-en-Provence. Uh, only, um, well, only five matches happened today because three players got a bye. That these players are Pellegrino, Gianessi, and Steven Diaz. And did anything interesting happen today on Monday? Not really. Uh, frankly, if I knew, I probably would have come for Tuesday because, well, it, it really wasn't that great a day of tennis. But it was fun to see how many people were already, uh, you know, a, a around the grounds because the 1st of May is actually a national holiday in Italy. Labor Day, also in Cagliari, there's some huge feasts of Saint Eficio or something like that. And um, yeah, it was actually it made it made my life harder because um, I I struggled a lot in getting from the airport to the uh, Airbnb because um, well the, the trains were overcrowded I couldn't get onto them for like uh, you know the one train came we couldn't we couldn't uh, board it second train came the same and for the third one I eventually somehow snuck in. And then in Cagliari, it turned out that uh, the buses also take a different route, which Google didn't know. Uh, the uh, Cagliari bus finder or whatever the app is called also didn't know it. So, you know, it was it was just wild. So um, because of that, uh, because it's a holiday, a lot of people were in the crowd. Like, for example, watching um, Shelton Kokinaki's practice, really huge, huge, uh, huge applause, huge crowds. And yeah, that, that, that was more interesting to me on the first day of Cagliari than, um, than the actual matches. But of course, that's going to finish very soon. That's, that's going to end soon. And tomorrow, I'm sure there's already going to be a couple of absolute crackers. Uh, who's winning this? Jakub went with Monteiro, which is a bit of a bold pick, I would say, right? Um, Thiago Monteiro playing Vatanuki in the opening round, then Goyo. Um, Koboli, Galan, or Nishioka in the quarters. Like, it, it's really tough, but 
probably everyone in the draw has a tough has a tough uh, draw. Like everyone in the draw has a tough draw. You know what I mean. I'm gonna go for something stupid. I think I'm gonna go for Diego Schwartzman because you know what? I mean, he plays Belucci in the um, opening round, which should be a win, right? I mean, Belucci has been so out of form. I know Schwartzman has been too, but he he wins this and he gets some momentum. Then he plays Vavasori Zeppieri. Okay, this is tough, you know, in Italy as well. But I think if he pushes through, then he can actually start winning. I can't really bring myself to pick Jerry, I think. Or maybe I actually can. He plays, no, he plays Kvalik or a qualifier. I don't know. Umber, no, no, there's no way Umber is a pick on clay, right? Even though he has improved on it a bit, I think it seems. Um, Nishioka, no, not going for him. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Diego Schwartzman, you know, who cares? Uh, I think if he wins the first two rounds, then he becomes one of the favorites to take this. So, uh, yeah, definitely going for Diego Schwartzman. That's my pick. That's my decision. But again, this is such a tough draw. And actually from the qualifying, um, you know, the, the, the potential players that can make it aren't as strong, I think. There's going to be one very interesting qualifying round, uh, final round, which is Pellegrino against Travaglia. Uh, Pellegrino was injured recently, so I hope he's back in full health because this could be this could be fantastic, and one of them could actually uh, do something in the in the main draw. I think you know if he plays Kovalik, Maestrelli, Uber, Goyo, all the all the spots are winnable, frankly. So yeah, my pick is Schwartzman, and Jakub went with Thiago Monteiro, and we and we also have uh, a couple of challenger seventy fives. Um, one of them is in Gwangyu, so we continue with the South Korean swing. And there today we've already had four matches. So let me see what they were so that I don't uh, talk about these players um, as if they were still were in the draw. And uh, top seed again, Max Purcell playing Berankis. Last week he was very easily eliminated by Song Chan Hong, which we both did not see coming. Uh, he's gonna play looks oh we actually have qualifiers already in this draw because because I'm doing this so late. Uh, he's gonna play uh, Purcell or Berankis are going to play Savi or Goyovczyk. Uh, then there's also Palan Su, Czeligbilek Gomez. Uh, James Duckworth is the fourth seed. Czeligbilek Gomez, by the way, that's a, that's a great round one as well. Duckworth is the fourth seed and he's gonna play Jasika. Uh, then Paul Mansur Shimizu, so could be a, an Australian clash again in the second round. Although Shimizu, of course, a, a recent uh, challenger finalist in Mexico. Um, Dennis Kudla is the eighth seed, and he played well in Seoul, so maybe maybe he can get something going. He can play Jason Jung or Ian, Ian Song Chung or uh, Keiji Uchida. Hijikata is already through, and he's going to play Li Tu in the second round. Uh, Donskoy Masur, interesting sort of uh, vintage round of matchup, I would say. Uisung Park is going to play Jordan Thompson, so should be a pretty easy first round win, I would say, for Thompson. And Fukic plays Shimabukuro, and then potentially we can have a, a final rematch already uh, for Seoul because uh, Buyuncho Oketa can play him in the second round if he beats San Huishin. So it's actually very likely that we're gonna get another Fukic Oketa so early. And then we also already know uh, that Holt and Eubanks are going to face in the second round. Um, Jakub picked Purcell, which I think is a very fair selection. We did it in Seoul. Uh, it didn't work out, but it's possible that he's gonna get more challenger titles this year. Of course, he's he's already made so such a huge impact on that tour this year. I'm actually gonna go for Jordan Thompson though. Um, I like his opening two rounds, and then he can play Hijikata or two, who I think both are significantly weaker than him. And, you know, if he gets through it all, he's in the semis and um, everything is open there. 
Um, he would have a very tough semi-final opponent like Vukic or Ryu Banks or Yun Chao Kete. But yeah, I, I, I like Jordan Thompson here as a pick. I think he can just uh, sort of sneak into um, the, the contenders uh, as he usually does, right? Because usually no one treats him that seriously before he actually wins it before he actually um, goes deep. So yeah, this time I'm gonna treat him seri seriously and I'm gonna go with Jordan Thompson. And when it comes to uh, the fourth event, so also a Challenger 75, we already have a few matches done already as well in Prague, actually five of them in the, in the main row. So we have Filip Krajinovic, the top seed, the one top 100 player in, uh, in Prague, playing Jan Choinski, also a qualifier, so we already have qualifiers in. Uh, then Gajor Kuzmanov, um, the number five seed is Jobor Pirosh playing Norbert Gombosh, so a rematch for the recent split final, which is a very exciting storyline. Delbonis was in the qualifying here and made it, he's gonna play Kepfer. Serundolo plays Dalibor Szczina in the opening round, which is a, a huge one, right? I mean, even with Szczina being a bit out of form, he was a finalist at this event. It, it's kind of tricky. And one of them will actually play um, Andrew Paulson, who defeated Penniston today. And also we have this match between Meligeni Alves and Stricker already done uh, because uh, they both won today. Um, so it's going to be a second a second round between Valigani Alves and, and Stricker. Stricker is coming back after a bit of an injury as well. Thomas Mahach is the sixth seed, but he is getting a very, very, very tough opening round against uh, Pablo Yamas Ruiz, probably uh, the most dangerous of the qualifiers, I would say. Ah, I don't know. Maybe Kuzmanov, maybe... Uh, maybe um, well, Sachko maybe could have something to say about that. I don't know. But uh, Yamas Ruiz could be the most dangerous one. Then he would play Belier or Collage. And there's a very good um, part of that section as well with Klein playing Valkus again. They recently faced with Klein wasting match points. And Agamemnon and Gaston. And uh, Sebastian Ofner was actually struggling quite a lot with Jaroslav Demin today, but pulled through. And he's going to play Sels or Hugo Carabelli. And Radu Albot, the second seed, has been eliminated already by Thomas Barrios Vera. Uh, Vitali Sachko, Vitko Pshiva is also uh, there are also in this in this draw. Huh. Jakub, I see picked Gaston. I'm definitely not doing this. I'm not even confident he's gonna pull through Agamemnon and then, then it also gets tricky with Klein or Valkus, I think. Uh, I was thinking of Barrios Vera even before he beat Albot. I could do it now. Uh, the question, because the big question is, uh, now is like whether Barrios Vera translates that South American form to Europe, right? I mean, he's already beaten Albot 6-3-6-3, so I guess the answer is kind of yes already. He's on an 11-match win streak at the moment. But my other selection here is Thomas Mahach, you know? Mahach is just going to rise in the rankings so much in the in the next couple of months, right? He he was injured last year for like three months and only came back in um August to win um to win to win Kozerki, for example, and to go, I think, to the quarters in Liberets or the semis. So I think he's gonna rise in the rankings a lot over the next three months or so. And he was doing well, right? Quarterfinal in Houston, semifinal in Sarasota. Pretty easy losses, both to Hanfman and to Galan. But still, he was doing well. So the, the question for me becomes whether I want to go with Mahaj or Barrios Vera. Barrios Vera is already in the second round, right? So it, it makes him more probable. 
but he could play Ofner, he could play Sachko or Kopshiva, and that's not easy in Prague. I, I actually have a sneaking suspicion that Barrios Vera is not going to be doing as well as he was in South America here. That honestly, it's just a bit of a gut feeling. I think he might struggle a little bit, but that's literally, as I said, that that's not based on anything. Uh, his level was good enough. I just I just feel like he's not going to win this event, you know, instantly. So I'm going to go with Thomas Mahach. And potentially we could match up in the quarterfinals with Jakub here, Mahach Gaston. But, you know, there are, there are still so many um, tricky obstacles along the way for both players that um, I actually think it's kind of unlikely that we're going to get Mahach Gaston, even though they are the seeds. And uh, the last event, uh, which is in Coquimbo, we still don't have the qualifiers there because some of them are, are still playing. Actually, two matches are still are still going. Um, and uh, we uh, have just one match that has started in the main row between Haida and Torres. And uh, the top seed is Nick Hart, who's going to play Lautaro Midon. That's a tough opening round already, right? Uh, Midon has been showing some potential, of course, a great junior. Uh, and super, super exciting uh, all Brazilian matchup is there as well. Eduardo Ribeiro, João Lucas Reis da Silva, fantastic forehands on both guys. Pedro Boscardi Dias is there as well. Um, another great Brazilian playing Nakagawa and Jose Pereira is in there. Santiago Rodriguez Taverna, whom I mentioned was in a bit of a better form, is playing Valerio Aboyan in the opening round. There's also Roman Andres Buruchaga as a seed in that section, but he can play Dalian or Villanueva, so nothing is really clear. Torres Haida, I mentioned, of course Torres was the seed in there. Juarez, they're going to play Juarez or Panta. Juarez, who now represents Italy uh, since like a week or two ago. Francisco Comesania uh, as the fourth seed is playing Leonardo Aboyan, so we've got both Aboyan brothers in this um, in this draw. And there's an interesting round one between Lama and Puccinelli da Almeida. The fifth seed is Casanova, who's gonna play a qualifier or a or first, and then a qualifier or Daniel Antonio Nunes, the, the Chilean wildcard. And uh, there's also the second seed, Thiago Sabofield, who took who actually took a late wildcard, initially wasn't supposed to play this. And is going to play Daniel Pereira Silva in the opening round. They played in the opening round of that event where Saibofield lost to Fonseca a couple of weeks back. And uh, one of them is going to play a qualifier. And I have to agree with Jakub there. I simply have to, and I have to go with Saibofield. Going back to back, is it going to be an issue? Who knows? But he already practically did that this year, right? He finished runner-up to Delian and then won the title right after. Uh, he, um, well, Dutrada Silva is not that easy in the opening round, but then I think the next two could be very nice for him. There's not, nothing really that dangerous in the qualifying, I think. Huertas del Pino, De La Fuente, Barena, Monzon, they've made it. Mateus Alves maybe could be could be slightly tricky tricky if if that's who, but, uh, sorry, Sepofit would play. But I don't really see any other good good pick here. Um, Rodriguez Taverna has a nice draw in the first two rounds, provided he gets he gets through Valerio Boyan. Otherwise, I think it's it's just really really close between a lot of these players here. Like Hart Midon, I don't want to pick this. I'm, I'm pretty sure Hart is still like the favorite between the two, but I think Midon is is definitely definitely has a chance to upset him already. Um, there's Ribeiro, Reis da Silva, I'm not picking out of this. I think both have a very high ceiling and could just potentially go onto the court and crash the other. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not going into this. I'm just going to go with Sabofield as well. And I actually wanted to do that before I saw Jakub's pick. Um, 
when I saw that Sabofield got a late wildcard, I, I checked the draw and I was like, okay, I'm picking him to go back to back. It's tricky business usually. Um, I, I try to avoid it most of the time, but I think in this case, it, it just wouldn't really make sense to pick anyone else. And with that, we arrived at the end of the show. Um, you know, thanks for being with me today. Um, we are going to be back with Jakub next week to discuss Cagliari, uh, Aix-en-Provence, uh, Gwangyu, Prague and uh, Coquimbo. As I mentioned, uh, hopefully there's going to be some extra content from uh, Cagliari. I already see that it might be a little trickier because, for example, from the main court, they just enter through a corridor that is not open to me. So I don't know, maybe there's going to be, on the next days at least, maybe there's going to be like a press office manager who would, you know, set you up with players. Uh, On the outside course, it should be easy though. Um, So we kind of will have to see how that works. They they also have a press conference set up, which is straight up in the press office, which is kind of fun. I I don't think I've seen this before. Like I've seen this before with um, it being just next to the press office, but this is straight up in the press office. I have no clue how they are going to use it, and I'm not sure who to talk about it um, with yet, but hopefully I'm going to figure it out later, and if not, I will still have... Like, I'm pretty sure they're going to host, you know, um, pressers with um, the champion and the final, and like the, I don't know, maybe the semi-finalists at least, so we'll have that. And, you know, if, if I can figure anything else out, I'll just talk to some guys from the outside courts, which, you know, in this event, they're also going to be insane, right? I don't know. I, I, I will have to figure it out on the next days, but you're, you're going to get some um, extra special content from Cagliari one way or another, right? That, that's, what I, that's what I'm hoping for. So, yeah, see you guys next week. And, um, yeah, we're going to be back to discuss five events again, again, and again, and again, and again. But that's how rich the Challenger Tour has been this year. And also next week, we're going to talk about the sort of rebranding that they did on the 1st of May. Uh, I I don't want to talk about it yet because I'm not sure if um, this is it. Like I'm not sure if what I see right now is already all the changes that they've introduced. So I think it's going to be better to talk about it next week. Also talk about it with Jakub rather than um, say something right now and then discover that it's not really the end of it, that there's more uh, to it. So, um, you know, with that sort of a teaser, let's let's finish it right here. And thanks for listening. Thanks, thanks for staying until the end. Um, I had good fun as always and uh, see you next week. Thank you.